The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 12 to 4, verse 1. And you'll be able to find that on page 1350 of your pew Bible. Paul has just spoken of the many benefits of his life, his, those things which were formerly considered benefits by him, and he says all these things were, that were gained to me have now counted loss for the sake of Christ. And he says now I'm pressing on to take hold of Christ. Well, we read here in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue, even able to subdue all things to himself. And therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. The word of God. We'll be focusing today a little bit more specifically on our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we'll also be looking at Lord's Day 7, question and answer 20, which you'll be able to find on page 523 of your book of praise. We'll be going more in-depth into this Lord's Day next week, but for this week we'll be focusing on the first question and answer. We read there, are all men then saved by Christ just as they perished through Adam? No. Only those are saved who by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. These are the opening lines of Charles Dickens' classic, A Tale of Two Cities. And what follows is a book that shows the sorry lives of the French peasants just before the French Revolution. 
For Dickens' British audience, it would have been a great reminder of how glad they were to be British. The filth, misery, and sorrow that composed the lives of these peasants was a sad tale, and the British were proud to be reminded that their citizenship was in Great Britain. Fifty years before, they had driven back the might of the combined French and Spanish fleets that had been on the brink of invading England. With the might of the Royal Navy behind him, Nelson smashed the Franco-Spanish fleet in the Battle of Trafalgar, leaving the British with unquestioned naval superiority. Britannia ruled the seas. After this followed an age of wealth and influence in Great Britain, allowing them to establish an empire to which there was no equal in the history of the world. Or so many historians think. But let me tell you of another kingdom. This one begins with a king born in a little town of Bethlehem. This king's first bed was not covered with silks and satin. His bedroom was not decorated with gold and ivory, but his royal room was a small stable and his royal cradle a manger. This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the proclaimer of a new kingdom, a kingdom where God would come down and bridge that terrible gap between God and man. With John the Baptist making ready the way before him, Jesus Christ ushered in a new era of peace and goodwill between God and man. How? by offering himself on the cross to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. And that is what we'll be commemorating in the sign and seal of the Lord's Supper this afternoon. As we read Jesus himself saying in John 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So how do we get this glorious citizenship in this kingdom that spans times and places? How do we get this glorious citizenship? Paul makes this simple and clear in Romans 10, the verses 9 to 10. We read there, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Simply declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. This is what affirms our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. So what did we do to deserve such a great gift? Each of us has to look no further than our own hearts to realize that we deserve nothing in and of ourselves. We're wretched sinners who fail our Heavenly Father day by day. And as the previous Lord's Days that we've been going through describe it, we are wretched 
We are doomed to perish because of the sin that's in us as mankind that's been remaining in us since Adam's fall. And the worst of it is that most days, the sin that dwells within us doesn't even make us think twice. We're pridefully stuck in our blindness. Rather, we look to others like our parents, our spouses, our our government, our next-door neighbor, and we see their evil, but we cannot see our own. We protest at the wickedness in the world up to high heaven, but us, we're okay. Others sin, we make mistakes. But consider this for a moment. What God requires of us is perfection. He's a holy, righteous God who can't stand the sight of even the littlest bit of evil. It doesn't matter what our motivations were for doing it. God can't stand the sight of even the littlest bit of evil. Now how little does that go? How little does the sin have to be to keep us from this? from enjoying God's grace to keep us from earning our way into the kingdom of heaven. Christ makes that clear when he's talking about kingdom living in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. This extends even to our hearts. Take his statements regarding being angry with your brother, for example. Hating him is murder. Or looking lustfully at that guy or girl, whether in person or in fantasy or on a screen, that's adultery, Christ says. Anything short of perfection is falling short of what God requires of us at the minimum. And there's no way to go above and beyond gaining a little bit of favor in God's sight by our own power because only perfection will suffice. So what do we do? What we're told to do, what we are called to do, is to recognize our own pride and our own stubbornness. To recognize the fact that we so often have this desire to try contribute to our salvation. To recognize the fact that we fall short. That we cannot live up to this standard. And to rest on Christ's work alone. But what about our own good works? Are they good for nothing? Is there no way that our own good works will contribute to getting us into that kingdom? Consider Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10 for a moment. We read there, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, even our good works are prepared in advance by God. Even these works don't belong to us, but they are God's gift to us. To offer them up in order to try be saved, would be the same as offering to buy someone a present with their own money that they lent to you. 
That's not buying a gift for them because they're still paying for it. And because of that, of course, they won't accept it as a gift. In fact, to try to give them a gift in that way, using someone else's money to pay for a present to give to them, would be downright insulting. So what does that mean? Does the fact that we can't do anything ourselves to make us more kingdom citizens make us throw up our hands and give up? Certainly not. Instead, we're called to recognize our good works as carrying out the will of God and working to His glory. We can take utter joy in the fact that we have God Himself working in us, shaping us, molding us through His Holy Spirit. We just read that here in Philippians 2, verse 12. He says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Christ Jesus laid hold of me in order that I can press on and take hold of that. And that encourages me to continue to press on and take hold of it. You do good, that's God at work in you. You show love, that's God at work in you. You take joy in reading the Bible and learning about your king, that's God at work in you. You believe that Jesus is Lord and his death has paid for all of your sins, ushering the way for you to enter into the ranks of heaven as a citizen of the kingdom, that is God at work in you. But it's not what saves you. It's grace that saves you through faith. You're not saved by your faith. You're saved through faith, by grace. This is the easiest thing in this world, and yet the hardest to understand. That we need to give up our attempts to redeem ourselves and rest on Christ alone. That we, by true faith, must be grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits that are given to us by grace alone. This means denying ourselves. It means saying that we cannot do anything to save ourselves. We like to think that we can contribute, don't we? When we do a bad thing, we feel the need to redeem ourselves. Perhaps a little more Bible study to make up for what I did. Perhaps throw ourselves more deeply into service. Do some little thing that can make God happy with us. But we can't redeem ourselves. Only our king can do that. And he, he gives it to us as a gift of grace. And so, we need to rely fully on the person and work of Christ. That is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. It means to surrender yourself to your God and to love and worship Him completely. It means to rest wholly on the sacrifice of Christ and to believe that it is enough for you. And it means to show this mercy that you've been shown to reflect that to those around you. But there is someone who desires you to fail. Satan constantly accuses. 
The theologian Zacharias or Sinus speaks to this in vivid terms in his commentary on the Heidelberg. He gives an example of a series of accusations which Satan gives and shows the answer that a true kingdom citizen can give. First of all, you are a sinner. The answer? Christ has paid for my sins and bought my freedom with his precious blood so that I am no longer my own, but I am his. Oh, but you are a son of hell or a daughter of hell, an enemy of God. By nature I am that, before my reconciliation, before I was set right with God. But now, because of Christ, I'm reconciled to God and accepted in mercy. But you must die. Yes, but Christ has freed me from the power of death. And I know that I shall now come from death into eternal life. But in the meantime, the pious in this life suffer much. Our Lord watches over and protects us and makes certain that everything will work for our good. Well, then he accuses, what if you fall from the grace of Christ? You can, after all, sin and depart from the path. The way to heaven is long and difficult. The answer, Christ has not only done good works on my behalf and granted them to me, but he also saves me eternally. He saves those works eternally and he gives them to me in their entirety so that I will not fall or end up outside of his mercy. What if that mercy didn't reach you and you aren't included among those who belong to the Lord? I know that this grace belongs to me and that I belong to Christ first because the Holy Spirit testifies, bears witness in my spirit that I'm God's child. Second, because I have true faith. This promise is universal, reaching every believer. Do you have proof of that true faith? I know that I have true faith because of the fruits of that faith, because my conscience rests in God, and because I have an earnest want and desire to believe in God and to obey Him. Your faith is weak, and your repentance is insufficient. Oh, how often don't we hear that accusation going through our own minds. Your faith is weak and your repentance is insufficient. Your repentance is not enough. Even so, our faith is true and not hypocritical. And we can look at Luke 19, verse 26. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And Mark 9, verse 24, the cry of that father. I believe. Help my unbelief. He summarizes his thoughts like this. In this earnest and terrifying struggle in which all the children of God find themselves, the Christian comfort remains unmoved. As such, they rest on this assurance that Christ with all his righteousness belongs to me. Yes, even to me. Isn't that true? 
No matter how far we may feel we've fallen, no matter how bad things can get for us, if we turn our eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we can rest assured that he belongs to us and that his grace and his righteousness belongs to me. Yes, even to me. This is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We can be challenged. Our enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, they don't stop attacking us. They can even shake us and cause us to stumble at times. But they cannot shake the assurance that we find in Scripture, the assurance of a kingdom citizen. Let's look up Romans 8, verse 31 to 39 for a moment together. Romans 8, the verses 31 to 39. This is the heart's cry of the kingdom citizen. What then shall we say to all these things? Talking about the work of God and drawing His people to Himself. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, and furthermore, who is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here especially, for I am persuaded, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. To be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is not to be strong. It's not to trust in the power of your own faith. It is to have full confidence in our King and in His love because nothing can separate us from that. And it's resting on His grace. That is faith. And that brings us back to reflect on that worldly kingdom that we saw described in Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. And when it was written, many Brits were incredibly proud of being British. This story really reminded them of how happy they were to be the undefeatable British Empire which spanned the globe from one coast to another. How powerful they were, controlling territory on every continent apart from Af Antarctica. And how pleased they were that they were not the once proud but now beaten French. But there's a twist. 
In the middle of all this wealth and glory, Charles Dickens took each British citizen back to his or her own roots. He pointed the British back to where they were before England was the superpower it became. And the tale of two cities compares the misery in France before the French Revolution to the misery the British themselves experienced in the hands of their rulers. Suddenly, citizenship in Great Britain wasn't a great thing anymore. Suddenly, they also are simply peasants being walked over by their overlords. Their citizenship was found in a broken system which oppressed the poor, neglected the widow and the orphan, and did not uphold justice for those who were most in need of it. We, on the other hand, are citizens in the kingdom of heaven. Our kingdom is not based on faith in a power structure of this world. We don't place our treasure here where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We have riches beyond compare stored away for us. We're not citizens controlled by the whims of an oppressive monarch who wants to squeeze every last drop of lifeblood out of us. No, we have a king who bled for us, who gives freely without expecting repayment, we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords ruling over us. The name above all names, that wonderful, glorious, awesome name at the sound of which every knee will bow and every tongue confess his absolute and total, just and merciful, righteous and holy rule. God has chosen those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, who have faith in what he has done for us to be members in his new creation. Through Jesus Christ, he has made us his own, and through Jesus Christ, he continues to hold on to us. As we read in Philippians, through Jesus Christ, we can rest in this confidence that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.